Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. Oh my god. This is episode 69. Nice. Nice. And we're reviewing Comey Can't Communicate. As always, there'll be spoilers throughout this episode, so you've been warned. I know this is an episode dedicated to Comey Can't Communicate, but can we talk about Attack on Titan for a second? Because we are, as of this recording three days away from Attack on Titan, the final season, part two. And I, I physically am not sure if I'm ready for it. Like, I I get this kind of like, when I think about the idea of finishing this incredible show that we've been watching since it started, since we were younger, um, I don't know, I get like anxiety. Do you ever experience that when you're so emotionally emotionally invested in a show or connected to a show that when you think about it, like ending or like, a character dying, you physically get anxious. I mean, there's a specific character on that show um, that makes me anxious, trying to wonder what their fate's going to be. Oh well, I mean, just like part. in general, in general with any show, I, I get that, and I don't know if like maybe I'm a fucking loser <laughs> for some reason. I'm that connected to these shows or characters, or if other people experience that. Um, I'm trying to think if there was any other show like Attack on Titan that I was so... I mean, there was The Walking Dead before it kind of went poo-poo, which... Yeah, yeah. Like, that show always left me on edge after every like every new episode every week. But I think now Attack on Titan has taken over that mantle. And, yeah, again, it, it's crazy that, what, we've watched this show since... When was the anime released? Two thousand. 2000- 2013. Man, it feels like it, it released way earlier than that. Yeah. and But that was a long time ago, to be fair. Yeah. Okay, now that now I think about it, also like the Harry Potter films, I want to say, kind of give me those the same vibes. Or maybe it's not anxiety. Maybe it's just this, uh, like you're bracing yourself or mentally preparing for the emptiness that you feel when a show concludes. Yeah. Um, because I my second favorite anime is Toradora, and I watched that. I try to watch it yearly around Christmas time and I know what's going to happen. And I've been through this song and dance before, but every single time I feel like this emptiness afterwards because I'm like, well, the show's done and I have nothing else, you know, in the Toradora lore to watch except for the OVAs, but that doesn't really fill that, that void for me. So I feel like I'm, my brain is trying to prepare me for the end of attack on Titan, like the official end of attack on Titan, not just like a season that left us with a cliffhanger, but the actual end of this amazing show. I don't know. We're all going to be a little sad, I think. No, yeah. Like I said, this show has been around for almost 10 years. And again, we've watched it since then almost religiously. And they're real. I don't think there's really any other anime comparable to or comparable in terms of its effect on the anime community and even just like pop culture in general as as attack on titan has been and so waiting for this or watching this at the conclusion of its stories it's going to be epic it's going to be like avengers endgame level epic but yeah it's going to leave such an empty void um in my heart after it's done yeah. yeah this was one of my gateway anime as i talked about in our um our anime origin story episode and yeah, it's gonna it's gonna take a while for something to fill in that void in my heart with the same caliber that Attack on Titan has has filled. 
Well, like I said, we're three days out from the premiere of part two of the final season, um, which is also a great opportunity to remind everybody that we will be bringing back our Attack on Titan review series here on Strictly Anime. Um, exact same format as uh, last time when we reviewed part one. We're going to do weekly review episodes um, on every Wednesday following that week's newest Attack on Titan episode. So you only have to wait two, three days, um, three days to hear our thoughts on each new episode. So starting January 12th, be sure to join us here on Strictly Anime as we talk about Attack on Titan. And it's going to be in, in addition to our regular schedule. So you'll still get our Monday episodes plus these Attack on Titan Wednesday episodes. I actually started re-watching the first part of the final season yesterday. And I know I, I usually say I don't binge shows, but I binged the first four just because the story is so compelling. The first four and episodes? The first four episodes oh, of the, no, like of the, the final season, part okay, one. Yeah. And like, yeah, Attack on Titan is a show that I will definitely binge as much as I can. And yeah, even watching these episodes probably for the second or third time, they're still epic. Like, man, the story is just going to be crazy and I can't wait for the end. Same, same. And in a similar fashion, um, we are still going through our JoJo Part 6 Stone Ocean review series over at Strictly JoJo. So if you're a JoJo fan, feel free to join us over there. And with all of that said, let's jump into today's topic. Komi-san, Komi-san can't communicate. I wrote it that way in my notes because I call her Komi-san, but it's technically localized as Komi can't communicate. Either way, you get what I mean. What were your overall thoughts on this show? Because I don't think you were as in tune with the manga memes that were floating around for a long time, right? No. Actually, so you kind of went into it like pretty blind, I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah. I mean, the first time I heard about Comey Can't Communicate was when you brought it up to me last year and saying, oh, they're finally doing an anime adaptation of this. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, with us hot off of reviewing the wholesome best boy last week in Ranking of Kings. We get the wholesome best girl and I guess runner-up best boy for this week. And I got to say, like, this was the most feel-good show of 2021, and I really enjoyed it for that. What about you? I agree. Very, very feel-good, very wholesome, lots of fluff, um, you know, just all-around great rom-com. I frequent anime type subreddits um, and I had seen the Comey can't communicate like manga memes for a long time because everyone kept joking around that Comey's never going to get an anime adaptation. It's so good, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I'm, I was familiar with the premise of the show and some of the characters, but I had no idea that this was way more, how do I describe it? As a rom-com, it's way more calm than rom at least here in the first season, it's mm -hmm. way more comedy than it is romance. And I would have never guessed that just from the memes um, that were floating around in the anime community. But I was pleasantly surprised at the level of comedy and just how hyper this show is. It just, it, it starts off like with a lot of energy and just keeps going every single episode. I thought it was a, a really fun story and I'm glad that we got a season two confirmation immediately following the end of season one. So that was... Uh, that was a, a sigh of relief because I would be very disappointed if we never got a season two of this. Yeah, I think at the very base of it, this is just a surface level show. <laughs> As you mentioned, it's a rom-com, but 
I don't think there's any sort of real conflict or drama that you would typically find in a romance story or I don't know if this is also common in rom-coms, but despite all of that, I'm okay with it just being a surface level show, especially since as I've announced previously, I finished Marmalade Boy and after that hot mess, I am definitely okay without the drama for now. And just with this show focusing on this very special relationship between uh, Komi and Tadano, not just romantically, but just in that special communication type of way. Like, I, w I was just enjoying that. And then you have all the comedic banter in between. Um, and yeah, like, I, this was just such a wholesome show. It's a nice slice of life, um, especially because it came out fall 2021. And to your point about it being more surface level, like it doesn't dive into any deep themes, which was a nice break because we were also watching things like Mushoku Tensei, Tactop Destiny, Platinum End, 86, uh, Demon Slayer. Even Ranking of Kings has a lot of pretty deep um, lore to it. It was just nice to have something that was as simplistic as Komi Can't Communicate, but didn't feel simple like it didn't feel right. boring um or anything like that because there was literally so much going on screen going on on screen as you're watching comey can't communicate i mean there is like the the issue at hand is comey trying to overcome her social anxiety and trying to open up and communicate better with others but i think that was like the height of the drama really and it wasn't really a drama because she was always put in these just very funny situations where she she learned to grow. Um, but yeah, that's all I needed from the show. And then alongside that, you like I think the show always teases these growing feelings between Komi and Tadano. Or maybe, I don't know if it's like dick teasing. <laughs> it's, it's always like like they're right there, but then it pulls you out um, right before like they confess feelings for each other. That's very typical rom-com. Yeah. Very tropey. And it's, yeah, it, it's frustrating. I guess with any kind of show, but with this one, like I, you can't help but live for these moments. I guess they, they build it up in a way that I'm comfortable with, and you know, I think I'm trying to find like certain words to describe what this show is in my head, or like how I would describe the show. There's a Filipino word for this, and I don't think there's a direct English translation. And maybe Courtney knows what this word is. The word is kilig. I feel like you've told me about it before. What is the context? Gilig is like just the, the this cheesy feeling that you get when you watch something romantic. Like the butterflies? Not like butterflies, but like watching something, like watching some sort of romantic like show or reading some kind of romantic story just gives you these feelings of like you're so happy that these people are in love and just doing these lovey-dovey things. Mm, okay. So, like, that's how I would describe the show. It's just, it gives you these gilig feelings. And I'm sure a lot of Filipinos out there would just eat this shit up if they watched <laughs> anime more. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like maybe the, not the equivalent, but something similar is, like, um, getting diabetes because the show is so sweet. I feel like that's, yeah, that's something yeah. that gets thrown around um, in the anime community a lot. Like, the show's going to give me diabetes because it, it's so incredibly sweet, but not in a bad way, like in a good way. Like, it's just, it's so wholesome. It's so fluff. Um, but I have to say, again, despite the fact that it is a romance slice of life, it's 
first and foremost a comedy because the show I feel like was written by someone on crack. Like it's so fast paced and kind of all over the place without feeling messy though. So props to the writers for striking that balance of um, having kind of like hyper hyper comedy. I don't know what you call it, but just like everything feels like a kid that had too much sugar, uh, but they never cross over that line of being over the top or annoying or frustrating. Um, I kind of never got burnt out, even though the show is very high energy and it's just a good amount of fun from the very beginning um, to end. Like even the, the first moments of the first episode are kind of that way. I mean, most of the episodes are kind of structured as mini episodes. And so I think with that kind of structure, you you get this nice break in between the the sort of like mini plots of each mini episode. And so it doesn't feel as overwhelming rather than if they just kind of strung these all together in one one episode and tried to make it um, like one main plot with all these subplots in between. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's them trying their best to adapt the like the the smaller arcs um, that happen in the manga. You mm-hmm. see this a lot with um, like Nagatoro. Yeah, Nagatoro similar fashion. Um, My senpai is annoying was kind of that way, although they blended it a little bit better. Um, but I have to say because there's so much activity going on in this show, I feel like all the voice actors must have like so much fun in their roles acting so erratic and crazy and dramatic and energetic like in a single bit of dialogue they can go from subdued to like like subdued and sweet to crazy and uh, and obnoxious almost and that's got to be so much fun like having that type of range in almost every single character except for Comey. yeah i was gonna say (laughs) the only character that i can see um not have i mean i'm sure she had fun with this but like she had very few lines in the show besides just her breathing and her stuttering moments but I'm, i imagine she still got a hefty paycheck out of it. i know it's got to be whoever this voice actress is we'll have to look it up um it's got to be her most like her easiest role that she's ever done i guess it's uh let's see here aoi koga probably her easiest role ever i'm looking at her her rap sheet here uh oh she's kaguya from kaguya sama interesting so she's done some pretty big um roles before so yeah this is this is by far probably the easiest one for her yeah it's kind of like vin diesel only having to say three words in the marvel movies yeah but in these types of roles (laughs) you also have to give props to those voice actors for being able to express emotion when their words are so limited Mm because comey i feel like just in her breathing can express her level of anxiety pretty well. So props to the voice actor for doing that. And the stuttering moments are pretty impressive. Like I don't think I could make a stuttering sound like that as clear and as crisp as she does. So I'm sure she took a lot of time to practice all of the crazy stuttering that Komi does. Yeah, it's, I would say it's equivalent to like Daisuke Ono having to brush up on his auras in Jojo. Like she probably had to practice stuttering in a way that sounds pleasant <laughs> or the seven page muda from part five right that probably uh, took a lot of practice Kensho no i'm um, doing that and the other thing with the show is just i love komi and tadano's very dis- different character designs oh my god yes a hundred percent like their their character designs are so great and i think the best one has to be komi herself because 
she's basically a goddess at the school. They call her mm-hmm. the goddess of the school, yet she has this extreme social anxiety. But the way she's drawn is like very beautiful, very elegant. Even her tights on because her her outfit when she's um i think all year maybe but her winter outfit she wears I think black in the summer tights. she takes off the tights oh does she um well, when she's wearing the tights in her winter outfit if you picture her or replace her next to any other character their tights are drawn almost like a solid color whereas hers are extremely like detailed and blended so you can actually see um i don't know how to describe this like the the rounding of her legs in the tights. Like, like the shading. To, or... Yeah, you have to like look at a picture of it, but but compare her legs and tights to someone like Najimi or I don't even know the other characters' names, any of the other characters that are wearing tights because there's a very clear difference there. And of course, her figure as well. She's tall, slender. Um, her eyes are like, like she's got like some mad winged eyeliner going on. Um, so yeah, I, I really appreciate that they they made her stand out in this way. So that it's not just the characters telling us she's the goddess of the school. We actually see that she's goddess-like. Not only that, even when she's put in her, like, nervous moments, they always give her, like, these huge, like, eyeballs. Like cat eyes? Yeah. And I know sometimes they'll even add cat ears to her head. And even those, like, you can't help but gawk at how beautifully she's animated, even in those comedic moments. Um, And then you got Tadno. Who just looks like Stumpy Boy? I <laughs> Stumpy Boy. Yeah, I love I love the difference in their character designs because the two of them, compared to everybody else, have almost like this this stature that's pretty realistic or like truly human like versus uh, everyone else who has very cartoonish features. Um, but I like that they did that with Tadano so that he physically looks like a good match for Komi. Like they they complement each other. Like opposites attract or yeah, because if like I don't know if you look at any of the like any of the other guys, there's not that many male characters in the show. But if you look at some of the other guys and stuff, like they're drawn in a more cartoonish way versus her, who's drawn in this very elegant way. So it'd be weird to kind of pair her with Tadano if he wasn't drawn in more of like a a tall, slender, human-like way. I am not good at describing this because I'm not a creative, but hopefully people listening understand kind of what what I'm going for here. And maybe it's just to to kind of be synonymous with the demographic of of who's watching Comey Can't Communicate. Not to say that everyone who's watching this show looks as stumpy as Tadano, (laughs) but I think just taking the idea of like this, this average student who has, again, this very close connection with this character that I think some of the some of their classmates call her like the, the Madonna of the school. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of aspiring to be like that character or imagining you. Like, like if, if Tadano can talk to someone like Komi and have that kind of relationship, then anybody can, basically. Yeah. And going back to kind of what I mentioned briefly about her being praised as like the most amazing person in school, um, but she has this extreme social anxiety, um, kind of tying that back into her character design, usually this type of character who is faced with some sort of issue like this would maybe have a character design that's that makes them appear more unpopular or strange or whatever. But here we we see somebody who looks like they should have it all and almost does have it all. 
um, except for the the ability to be you know social with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it makes her feel very human because despite being blessed with these good looks and amazing skills, she's terrified of communicating and suffers kind of with the loneliness and the misunderstandings that come along with that. So I, I appreciate that it's not falling into a trope where it's a character that is unpopular because they can't they, they have the social anxiety, but they also have you know X Y Z that kind of plays into their unpopularness. It's like, this is someone who actually is popular and, you know, is still struggling through some pretty real things. Well, I think it's funny because she's popular because she's so quiet and people kind of take that as her being so mysterious. Yeah, I can see that. Like a little bit elitist, although we know like Comey's just a very genuine person and is far from, far from those characteristics. Uh, but yeah, I guess all in all, it, it's, an example of never judging a book by its cover because again people no matter how you look can have their own strengths and weaknesses i also really like the use of visuals and the use of space on screen to like portray emotion or enhance what's happening in the scene because again like this is a hyperactive show where there's your, your eyes are bombarded with lots of different things on screen um, especially text when different situations are playing out but I feel like they do it in a, a really nice way. Like, for example, using – I don't remember what episode it was. I think it was one of the, the first episodes. But they were using the chalkboard behind them as almost like a screen for highlighting what a character was saying. Like, they were describing a situation. And then the chalkboard essentially becomes like a big-ass TV screen showing you the scenario that they're talking about. Um, and I thought that was kind of a cool way to use that space, that wall space. And then, of course, all the text on screen, not only when Comey is writing, um, but like when other characters are doing their activity. I mean, it's all the time. There's text on screen whenever someone is saying something. And it's great because they differentiate the different dialogue um, or situations based on the type of font that you're seeing on screen. Like when the font is very soft and pretty, it's when Comey is going through kind of like a serious moment. And then when it's like an intense or really crazy situation, it's big, bold block text um, that happens on screen. Kind of like a live comic book or manga panel. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. And yeah, I think it... That's just evocative of the fact that since Comey mostly communicates through writing, like I'm sure that's why they wanted to emphasize writing so much um, with the visuals. And there was also that um, one episode where they had the clock from 24. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was random, but it, they played it <laughs> off really well. <laughs> Which I think this, the manga started back in 2016. So it took a while for this to be adapted. And I know there are certain other elements of this show that kind of show or like like you you can see that it's kind of in its own time period rather than the present um most specifically i'm talking about like Comey's cell phone oh yeah yeah, yeah. right it was a flip phone which you don't see as much nowadays but was all the rage back in the the mid 2010s i want to say all the rage yes or maybe not 2010 no i feel like we had iphones back then didn't we i mean like Back when flip phones were pretty popular, unless in 2016 when this was, uh, when this manga was written, um, Comey had started off with the flip phone, even though there were many other models of phone out there. Uh, just because again, she she's not very good at communicating, so start with like the basic phone model. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Really quick, I was just curious and looked up um, 
Tadano's voice actor, it's Gakuto Kajiwara. He was actually in Stone Ocean. He was Romeo. He was? Mm-hmm. Oh, um, he also says on his filmography, he was in Shield Hero as Ake. Whoa, let me see. I don't remember that name. Um, what else? He was in Rent-A-Girlfriend as Kuribayashi. Whoa, what? Hang on, I'm, I'm looking at this right now. <laughs> I, I, these are all shows I have not watched, but I'm just mentioning these to Courtney um, to see if she recognizes the characters. He was in Fruits Basket as Schoolboy. As Schoolboy? <laughs> Sells at work as Red Blood Cell 1. It, so it, it seems Wait, like... why? I think these are minor roles because they're not showing up on Mal. Yeah. Um, I was about to say that these don't look like starring roles. So I'm wondering if Komi is one of this uh, Seiyu's first major roles. Although he is the main character of Black Clover. So that's pretty cool. Mm. But then that was like his breakout role, it looks like. Or maybe, I don't know. Yeah, one of his first roles. Um, So that's pretty fucking cool to land a major role like that right off the bat. But yeah, he's great as Tadano. A perfect fit. Also says he was Shinra, Kusakabe, and Fire Force. Um, I did not watch that. Yeah, that's one I wanted to also or put on my watch list, and hopefully we'll get to sometime in the near future. We'll see. Well, then maybe the whole time you'll just not be able to unhear Tadano. One last thing I wanted to mention before we dive into the synopsis is that I I appreciate they keep some variety to Komi's friends um, by making them fit into some of the different dere dere types um because if she wants to make a hundred friends i don't know if they actually try to do that in the manga but damn like that would get boring after a while so if they they connect them with different dere dere i can't say that word that word fast but dere dere types that keeps it interesting each time she meets a new friend also will she eventually make another friend that's a guy because they've been all girls so far oh yeah i didn't really think of that well, we'll talk through the different types when we are introduced to each character, when we get to their episodes where they're introduced. But take us through the synopsis for Comey Can't Communicate. All right. So to start, Comey Can't Communicate is the 2021 anime adaptation of a manga series written and illustrated by Tomohito Oda in circulation since 2016. Produced by OLM and directed by Kazuki Kawagoi, the series follows a high school girl with an inability to verbally communicate with others as she seeks to make 100 friends with the help of a well-meaning and supportive stumpy high school boy. Also, I looked up right before this podcast, um, OLM actually worked on Odd Taxi, um, I think in collaboration with another studio. Yeah, PIX, P-I-C-S. Um, so there's a connection there because Courtney and I actually just finished Odd Taxi. And that was a pretty wild ride. I know we're, we're going no off No pun intended for the taxi. <laughs> <laughs> but to get back on track, in episode one, it's just, I wish I could speak. On the first day of high school, my true love gave to me a girl with communication anxiety. Wow. Despite getting all the looks and attention, leading lady Komi struggles with becoming a social butterfly until ho-hum hero Tadanormi comes to the rescue and begins communicating with her via written messages on chalkboard and learns of her desire to open up and become MySpace friends with 100 people. With an elite private high school full of the most eccentric anime tropes around, however, this may prove to be quite the challenge. OP and ED time. Don't we get that in episode two? I don't care. We can talk about it now, but... Well, here we technically... So we get the OP 
but it's introduced here at the end. So I was caught off guard and thought this was the ED. Then we get to episode two and it's the, actually the OP. Screw it. Let's talk about it now. <laughs> um, so OP, the song is called Cinderella and it's by the band Cider Girl. And this is such a jam. Like, I love it. It's yeah. such a feel-good song. It's such a perfect fit for this show. Um, and the, the visuals complement it very nicely. I kind of like that the style of the visuals seems more, I don't know, watercolor or something. But I, I enjoy it a lot. Yeah, they're very stylized. They're almost like sketches, but of course they're painted and, and cleaned up. Um, but yeah, still very distinctly like distinctly different than what we see in the actual show itself um this also feels like the opening to a film rather than a show especially because it, it they put it in like widescreen which was a interesting choice i love i think the favorite my favorite shot from the op is when comey is falling from the sky i don't know why i think it's just the way her hair whips around um it's a really cool shot <laughs> what what's so funny <laughs> It reminds me of that corny pickup line where it's like, did it hurt when you fell from heaven? Oh, my God. Because everyone calls <laughs> Komi a goddess. Wow. And it's, then, you know, it's, I think it's Tadano looking up at her and like she's falling from the sky. Then right? Tadano can <laughs> use that line on her. <laughs> Which he probably will never sum up the courage to. Um, yeah. The song, like something about the, the melody like it feels so whimsical and like i just especially that i think it's an electric piano in the begin the beginning that has this really interesting melodic progression with like it like gets energy out of you yeah it, it's like a nice way to say hey this show's really energetic and you don't know what you're about to get into <laughs> yeah and then the, the lyrics it's, i think the singer is singing about like summing up the courage and inviting like his his love interest to join them and enjoy the little things in life. Um, I want to think that it's uh, Tadano's point of view because um, as I'll discuss in the ED, uh, I think the ED is kind of complementary to that. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up with the OP is I think Komi holds this flower in certain shots and it's this blue flower and someone on Reddit pointed out that she is holding a forget-me-not and um, on the Farmer's Almanac website, I looked up Farmer's it. Farmer's <laughs> Almanac? What the fuck? You, you know what those are? Yeah, like, yeah, I know. I've never heard like of the Farmer's they, uh, Almanac, though. <laughs> or what are the, like in your library units in school, right? We had yeah. Almanacs, which I don't know what, like, were those like the, the precursor to like the wealth of knowledge that the internet has now? Basically, yeah. <laughs> it was before we had Wikipedia. <laughs> But yeah, the Farmer's Almanac has now gone from print to web form, and their description for this flower is, forget-me-not symbolize true love and respect. When you give someone these tiny blooms, it represents a promise that you will always remember them and will keep them in your thoughts. They are also considered a symbol of fidelity and faithfulness. Oh, well... There's so the flower's shipping them already. <laughs> There's a lot of flower language that pops up in anime, and I feel like at some point I want to read up on it just because um, sometimes it's not super obvious, but it plays a, a key part into like the storytelling. So, yeah, I, I 
I like that they added flower language here. Very nice. And did you also know that the alternate term for forget-me-not is scorpion grasses? What the fuck? <laughs> Does not sound as romantic. What the but... hell is going on in the farmer's almanac? <laughs> but yeah, other than that, this song's a vibe, and it's definitely on my Spotify playlist, and I've put this on repeat many times as I've listened to the playlist recently. So there. ED-wise, um, episode one actually has its own ED. Um, it's called Sympathy by Kitri. I don't really have much to say about this. I don't um, even remember it. Yeah. Wow, okay. Because uh, I was looking up, just to refresh my memory, I was looking up the OPs and EDs for this anime, and then someone mentioned this song, and then I had to do some research, and I realized they use it because the ending of the first episode is just... Uh, cuts to credits like a black screen of rolling credits so i think this is a song that plays over it it's a simple like piano and vocals song but i think it's just as like whimsical and fascinating as the actual ed which is hikare inochi which i think roughly translates to shine life also by kichi um this one too if the animation just felt like film quality and it's just like shots and vignettes of like the school settings, the classroom. A lot of slow-mo shots too. Yeah. And, which are nicely animated. And it's like <laughs> Komi usually by her lonesome. Um, but this is where I think the ED is very complimentary to the OP. Um, because the lyrics here, the singer is, I think she's trying to, to like break out of her social ineptitude and feeling dif- uh, distant from others um, and kind of persisting though she feels discouraged um, and finding someone that can empathize with her. And so I'd like to think that this song is kind of sung from Comey's point of view. And again, it feels complimentary to the OP because it I feel like Tadano's um, emblematic of those lyrics. Yeah, I thought it was all right. <laughs> I have this long-winded poetic <laughs> description of this ED, but go on. Yeah, I th- to me, it's like a typical slice of life ED. It looks nice, songs nice, but does it stand out to me among all the rom-com slice of life EDs? No. This is kind of like a a Comey karaoke video, which yeah. I think is fitting because I think she quote-unquote sings this song at the at the very last episode. <laughs> yeah, sings. So yeah. <laughs> This is like this is what you would see in a karaoke video of this song if you were to sing it in karaoke. <laughs> well, um, in terms of episode one, a lot of my notes here we've actually already covered um, about the amazing animation quality, especially the slow mo shots. Those look really good. Um, it's way more comedy than I anticipated. Um, it did take me a while, admittedly, to get used to the segmented storytelling in each of these episodes again because it's trying to i think be as true to the manga as possible um it just sometimes doesn't click as well when you're trying to like in in a manga i'm sure it's easier to read these things um piecemeal because it's just like a a small chapter and then you move on to the next chapter but in an anime where you're trying to fill 22 23 minutes um and you're trying to put all these segmented pieces together sometimes it just feels disconnected as it typically would um and it it wasn't as bad in Comey, but in these first few episodes it did take me a while to to get over that well i think in this very first episode it's just it's just the one segment it's just 
their first day at the high school. I think in the beginning of the episode, there were segments. Because, yeah, then the, the latter half follows kind of Komi and Tadano becoming friends and him wanting to help her. But I, I wrote here, the segmented part in the beginning was okay. Hmm. Because I'm not, I don't remember this. The only segmented part I remember is like there's a post-credits where Comey's asked to read a passage from a book. Uh, then I don't know. Maybe I, <laughs> I mix my notes up. But either way, the segmented parts in the show in, gen- in general um, sometimes didn't always flow yeah. as nicely. But they're doing what they can, trying to stay faithful to the manga, I assume. Um, definitely the highlight of this first episode was Komi and Tarano's interactions at the chalkboard and how beautifully it was done. And I'll say up front, I kind of wish we got more of those moments in this first season because it, it focuses very heavily on the comedy. You get little breadcrumbs of romance between the two main characters, but in terms of like a more serious moment where they're kind of reflecting on Komi's you know, social anxieties and, and how Tarano can help her and how she's progressing. You only get that maybe a handful of times in these 12, 12 episodes, 12, 13, 12, 12. Um, so yeah, I'm really hoping that we get more of that in season two because I think it, it keeps the show from feeling too like flavor of the week. Um, if we're reminded that there is truly an overall goal here of, you know, helping Comey break out of this and, you know, getting the two of them together romantically. And yeah, I thought the the chalkboard scene was done so well because that's where you really see Comey open up to someone. Um, as 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 it's established, like she she's very, or if I, she finds it difficult to to really communicate with others, and then Tadano introduces just using the chalkboard, and it's like they write furiously. Um, so it, it shows that you know Comey does have a lot to say. Um, she just hasn't found the right channel to do so, and it's Tadno that kind of helps her break out of her mold, and you have this beautiful scene, again, where they're writing to each other um, against this chalkboard. Um, and yeah, not, like this whole episode, like it just felt like its own contained movie, and I think I said that in our Fall Impressions episode, and even just the the animation felt like movie tier. Um, you have the like the chalk particles that are kind of floating in, in the air as they're writing to each other, though. The reflections of light and this very elegant piano piece that plays uh, during their initial um, conversation with each other. I feel like they poured a lot into selling this anime um, within this first episode. Although I don't think they needed that much effort to, but they, but OLM put it there. Yeah, no, it was great. It was a very beautiful scene, um, very stoic, which is funny because then you go into the rest of the anime and it's like literally not that way at all. It's like zero to hundred, especially in the next episode when they introduce Najimi. It's like holy shit, what the fuck is this? Is this the same anime? <laughs> and one note I wrote, or one last note I wrote, is what the fuck's on Tadano's head, which you know. I understand now. <laughs> I think the the Komi Wiki says it's a white cowlick. Even though it's shaped like he's got like a, like a birthmark, and so like his hair is like, doesn't that happen when hair grows out of like a birthmark? It ends up being white. Um, because I, I knew uh, someone. Yeah, I, I knew, I knew someone, someone in like high school too. that had like a patch. So his hair was brunette or black, and he had a patch of white hair on the side of his head, um, and it was because he had a birthmark under there. So I don't know if that's what's happening here, but I imagine it's the same idea. 
Well, I can relate because I used to have a cowlick on my head. You still have a cowlick oh, on your head. Well, <laughs> you yeah. like the swirl I, on the back of your head. Well, there, I can relate to Stumpy Boy <laughs> in that regard. Uh, didn't you also say that his name is a play on words, Tarano Hitohito? Yeah, our friend Kevin mentioned that, um, that it means like plain person or just like regular person, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> I just love, again, he, he's just championing all of the average boys out there like myself. So. <laughs> he's literally as plain as they come. He is the vanilla protagonist who Comey's, I don't know, hot chocolate he's, goddess moment. <laughs> he's the mid-tier to Comey's S-tier. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In episode two, broken into three segments, it's just a childhood friend. I'm not a killer. It's just my first errand. Taranormi introduces Comey to his childhood gender-ambiguous friend, Najimi who is a step above social butterfly, social hornet maybe, but has trouble connecting with Komi due to an awkward encounter back in the day. After Komi inadvertently scares off one of Najimi's suitors, they rekindle their friendship, at which point Najimi takes advantage of our wholesome heroine by forcing her to place an order at a coffee shop, which to be honest, I'd be nervous about too, especially if it was someone's custom Starbucks order. I think that this is the episode that completely sold me on Tadano. I love him to death. Um, he's one of the best, best boys out there. And it's because he goes through this whole episode um, following Comey and looking like a stalker to a bunch of people in, you know, the, the passerbys and all of that. But he encourages her from a distance without ever ruining her chances to practice communicating. Like it, it could be so simple for her to come to her, uh, for him to come to her rescue and place the order for her at this coffee shop. But he doesn't, he, no matter how much she's struggling, he watches her from a distance, um, never makes his presence known and just roots for her because he probably knows if he swoops in to save her, she's never going to grow. She's never going to be able to break out of her social anxiety. I think you contrast that with the the two suitors that came up to Najimi that were kind of just hot out the gate. <laughs> Their approach was, again, kind of problematic. Um, but then you have that, again, indifference with uh, the way Tadano approaches, like how Komi's growth into communicating effectively should be handled. I also just love Najimi. Um, I think Najimi may be my second favorite character behind uh, Tarano in the show because Najimi is like us, wanting to ship the shit out of Komi and Tarano the entire show. Like, Najimi's the only one who actively tries to push them together as a couple. Um, and I think in this episode, they ask Tarano if he likes Komi. And I made note of this because Tarano didn't get flustered when Najimi asked this question, but instead he got really serious and said that he's in a league uh, too far below Comey's. And I really appreciated this um, this point because it broke free of that rom-com trope where the character gets really flustered. Not to say he doesn't get flustered. It happens a lot in the show. But in this moment, when we're first getting introduced to these characters, um, I think Tadano finds himself to be so plain and so regular that he doesn't even stand a chance close enough to get with Comey that he can't even entertain the idea of being with her and get flustered in this moment. I guess in a way then he grows too alongside Comey because he doesn't think so lowly of himself. I mean, yeah. he's, he still recognizes that he's not on the same like social status as she is, but knowing that they have this close relationship, he doesn't let that get in the way. 
and it seems like they they start reciprocating the feelings to each other um, over the course of the series. And to that effect, he also doesn't let his perceived um, lower social standing stop him or prevent him from wanting to help Komi, which Mm -hmm. I think is great because we've talked before about how protagonists and certain shonen are like, I don't know, self-doubting all the time. Or they say like, you know, I'm not good enough to help Komi because I'm not popular. Tadano never has those thoughts. He just thinks, here's a person who I really want to help and I'm just going to help them even though, you know, I may not be nowhere, you know, anywhere near as popular as they are. So I think Tadano is a very refreshing rom-com protagonist. Yeah, he's not like absolutely self-loathing. I think it's just funny that the show always manages to to sh- tell us that he's average, especially I think in the next episode. The where... narrator tells us all the time how yeah. average he is. <laughs> like, like his physical exam, he got average results, or his fitness test was average. Like, but he just like he knows who he is, and he accepts that, and mm-hmm. he doesn't wallow over it. I think that's just it's nice. It's it's really nice. Yeah. On the other hand, I think having Komi converse with Najimi in this just her second as her second friend it's like introducing spicy foods to someone by having them eat a ghost pepper (laughs) that's a really good analogy (laughs) najimi just comes right hot right out of the gate and i especially love that they they give uh the, the coffee order to komi and the order comes out so rapidly that it sounds like a a wound up cassette tape like wouldn't you want Comey to start off like you have Tadano who's the average stumpy boy and then just go a level like a slight level higher with another friend but no it's Najimi <laughs> which I get like I love Najimi like they're a very great comic relief for for the, the romantic pairing but man yeah I think Najimi is just that free spirit who has what Komi doesn't, which is the ability to just engage anyone and any situation at any time with total mm-hmm. confidence. So I think um, I, I'm glad that Najimi, of all the friends, um, is the the forerunner, the, the front runner um, that we'll see the most of in the show. In episode three, which is broken into five segments, it's just stage fright. It's just a cell phone. It's just a student election. It's just an accidental call. It's just a game. Komi befriends the sheepish Agari, who turns out to be quite the masochist in wanting to be her lapdog. Komi then takes a brave step forward in getting numbers for her quote-unquote new flip phone, with Tadanormi acting as both proud father and hormonal adolescent. Komi's classmates nearly vote her in as class president until Tadanormi throws his hat into the ring to take the pressure off her, and the two subsequently have one of the strangest phone conversations in recorded anime history. Finally, after Komi expresses interest in joining her classmates in a round of social games, they in turn allow her to win consecutively until Tardanormi pulls a good guy Greg move at the final game to spare her some potential embarrassment. Okay, so to my point with the previous episode, there are moments where he does save her, but I think it's a reasonable save, like in this case, having her not become class president that's reasonable for him to step in and, and try to, to save her in that situation because that would be too much. I think what I was trying to say is that he never steps in in a situation where it's still within Comey's realm of possibility to, I don't know, to be successful. Well, yeah, especially with the, the, the game uh, scene, they just want her to win at the end so they can all 
like ponder her like kissy face <laughs> and I mean, like th- there's no benefit for Comey in that yeah. so I think he he throws the game when it gets to his turn and obviously everyone's pissed at him <laughs> but again good guy move there it's kind of like that scene in Always Sunny where Danny DeVito's character steps in front of that other character because he knows that they're a minor at that oh thing. the wet t-shirt contest yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's Tadano is like Danny DeVito in that scene. <laughs> that, that is a comparison I never thought I'd hear, but yes. <laughs> um, the only thing I wanted to note in this episode is the phone call scene. That's the only like, thing I want to note too. So just Oscar worthy and that just deserves my clap. <laughs> um, just seeing Comey pretend to, <laughs> pretend to use the phone and I think the flyer for it mentions that the phone will automatically call someone if you hold it up to your ear and who does she happen to call but it's Tadano um and then I think she hangs up right away I think it's great because this is such a realistic scene I'm sure we've all done this when we were kids you know pretend to like be on the phone or whatever when no one else is looking and the fact that she's doing this here and then actually does call him like it's just there's something about some of the the comedic moments in the show that are so realistic. Like we'll get to the the part where Tarano has a sesame seed yeah. on his face, and we'll talk about that. But this is one of those um, where I was like, I can totally relate to this. I think we all can totally relate to this, um, and it's just hilarious how she tries to handle the situation and how taken back Tarano is by her beautiful voice. Well, then Tadano does the best boy thing and calls her back and says he wants to make sure that she's okay. I loved like, that. Like so he wasn't just wholesome. curious or whatever, but he's like, I just wanted to make sure that you were safe because that's that is a very reasonable reaction to get a phone call. The person hangs up right away and you're like, Are they okay? Are you mm-hmm. all right? <laughs> and then she obviously she pretends that she's like a phone operator. <laughs> and then you have Tadano screaming how much he loves her voice. Like, oh, man. Like, get together already. See, like, Damn. <laughs> that's that's the Keelig moment that I'm talking about. <laughs> for all the Filipinos out there who just eat that shit up like I do. <laughs> In episode four, broken into two segments, it's just a physical and it's just a crush. Komi finds an athletically competitive rival in Yadano, but nonchalantly sweeps the floor with her in their physical exam despite Yadano claiming a draw. And of course, Tadanormi's results in contrast are that of a stumpy, stumpy boy. Later on, Tadanormi is drawn into the clutches of the overly obsessive Yamai, who will stop at nothing to win Komi's favor. Though the subsequent hostage situation creates a rift between the two, Yabai Yamai is privileged with Komi's forgiveness, knowledge of her goal to beat her social anxiety, and my eternal disdain for her character. So we've been introduced to, I'm pulling up the character list here, Agari, who is the masochist character. And now we are introduced to Yamai, who is, I believe, the Yandere character, um, the psycho, overly obsessed character. And great character. Like, I, I personally <laughs> I personally don't like place her as one of the top friends. But entertainment-wise, I think she's great because she's so erratic. Her facial expressions are so funny, and her voice actress does a really good job of matching the voice to those expressions. Um, and, yeah, the, the episode was weird as fuck because, you know, she kidnaps Tarano. But I still think her character is on par with, like, being able to take it from, like, 0 to 100 every every other scene. 
Yeah, I can respect the way that like the voice actor portrayed this character, but I think just in concept, why would anyone want to be friends with this bitch yeah. after she pulls a stunt like that? Like that's like I know there are characters that are obsessive in anime and other shows, but this <laughs> like th- this is borderline kidnapping. Like, <laughs> it straight up is kidnapping. Uh, yeah, I guess yeah, that too, but you know, but I hey, think Komi is, is has a forgiving nature. Well, I was going to say, it's great that Komi didn't automatically accept this new friend. Like, she wasn't desperate enough to have friends to accept this person who kidnapped Tadano. Like, she makes a judgment call and then says that she'll, well, not says, but writes that she'll choose her own friends. Um, of course, they ultimately become friends. But it was nice to get a glimpse into Komi's personality that she's not this one-note character who's just, like, accepting of everybody. She actually does... Um, you know, have a, a certain um, threshold when it comes to who she'll accept into her her circle of friends. I think that's what she was writing to her, like at the end of the climactic scene, and they leave right. And I think I love that, like it shows Yamai just like hurt broken, but Najimi is still in the room as she's going through that emotion. Oh my god, that right? was so funny! <laughs> Again, oh just great god. comic relief at a very tense moment. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, that was really good. In episode five, broken into four segments, it's just my summer uniform. It's just a fitness test. It's just veggies, garlic, lots of lard, soy sauce, and it's just a blood pact. Comey makes everyone go batshit crazy with her summer school uniform and especially makes Yadano go Looney Tunes in another self-imposed fitness test competition. Later, Comey manages to convey her order to a timid chef at a ramen shop and everyone once again ogles at her beauty in slurping the succulent soup. Later, later, our wholesome heroine crosses paths with a full-on weeb named Nakanaka to make sure she doesn't feel left out in gym class, and later, later, later has a kawaii moment while walking home with Tadanormi, where they share an umbrella, Ella, Ella, A, 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 under my umbrella. <laughs> um, Nakanaka is kind of exhausting. Like she's uh, so when we're talking about full on weed, yeah. When we're, when we're talking about character types here, she's the uh, Chunibyo, which is like you know what? I'm just gonna Google it. I'm not even gonna try to describe um, Chunibyo. I'm gonna read what it says here. Um, on Wikipedia, it describes or lists Chunibyo as a Japanese colloquial term typically used to describe early teens who have grandiose delusions, who desperately want to stand out, and who have convinced themselves that they have hidden knowledge or secret powers. Um, yeah, so like a lot of weebs. <laughs> <laughs> There's a subset of weebs that are definitely Chunibyo. Like they've been isekai'd into the normal world or something. Yeah, I don't even know. Um, but she is exhausting. I think the whole way through this first season, um, every time she's on screen, she's pretty exhausting. It's not that I dislike her character. It's just like sometimes I have to breathe very heavily when she's on screen. But I thought of... <laughs> A very wholesome moment. And we're going to use that word so much on this <laughs> podcast. But um, the scene where I think it shows Nakanaka and they're in gym class and they're doing exercises or warm-ups. And you can clearly tell that she feels like left out and estranged from everyone else because of her, was it Chunibyo um, social status or just the, the way that she acts. But you know, despite Komi's sort of default popularity status, it doesn't stop her from still being genuine and friendly to Nakanaka, even though they're of these perceived different social statuses. 
And we also have to acknowledge that Tadano acknowledges that he used to be like Nakanaka. He was also at Chinibio in middle school, I think he says. Mm-hmm. Um, and that whole flashback was really funny. That, that was that was really great. Um, I think he, like a switch flipped and he stopped being Chinibio when he was called cringy by the girl he confessed to. Yeah, he tried to. <laughs> to be a cool guy. Yeah. <laughs> so it was so good. Just, just so good. Um, I also love the part where he's walking under the umbrella with Comey that was... That was super sweet because I think that signaled the start of their romance or like their blossoming romance. And of course, Najimi is the best for pushing them along and shipping them as much as we ship them. That's that kawaii or again, gilig moment. It's going to be my second word for this podcast. One thing I wanted to bring up um, with the, the scene at the ramen shop, I think Komi barely talks to the, the ramen cook um, who's also like he's very soft-spoken as well and he just automatically knows what she wants is that right i think so i'm trying to remember but i I think like the the scene went something like that um but at this point i kind of have to ask is komi really growing out of her social anxiety because i think so far with these sort of communication like challenges or tasks that are presented to her there's some sort of like convenient out that allows her to succeed without actually speaking up you know what i mean yes a hundred percent i i feel the same way that yeah maybe tarano is not there to save the day but there is an out for her somewhere in each of these situations Mm -hmm. um but i feel like what actually is progressing her growth um to to break out of her social anxiety is her interactions with tarano because there's multiple instances especially in the later episodes of the season where she does something unexpected because it relates to Tadano. Um, Like we'll get to the part with the the race during the the gym class or whatever. Um, Or just her even being able to speak on the phone with him in the previous episode, two episodes ago. Yeah. Um, So I think anytime she does make progress, it's because it's a situation that involves Tadano. Okay, that makes more sense because that was something I was wrestling with as I was watching these moments where she... It's like she takes a step forward, but it's a tiny step. Um, so I guess with Tadano, like with her growing her communication skills, it's like she's taking two larger steps. In episode six, broken into six segments. It's just a joke. It's just shopping. It's just the hair salon. It's just an unsettling feeling. It's just a study group. It's just summer break. After learning the hard way that delivery is a key part of a successful joke, Komi and Ko go shopping and takes a liking to Tadanormi's fashion style. She then visits a hair salon where a new employee mistakenly presumes Komi to be one tough cookie. At night, Komi dreams not of sushi, but of Tadanormi, as her feelings for the stumpy boy start to blossom. Lastly, following the conclusion of their studies and exams, Komi and Tadanormi experience the awkward adolescent phase of wanting to invite each other to hang out but not wanting to impose on the other person's time until Najimi breaks the ice for them and invites them both to partake in the customary pool episode. So I thought for these first, like the first half of the show, that the narrator seemed kind of pointless. Um, It felt a little out of place. But I think in this episode, she was very helpful in explaining the behaviors of someone who struggles 
with communication disorders because they the narrator says that they have trouble building connections but that doesn't mean that they don't want to build connections um mm -hmm. and i think they repeat this in in many of the episodes there's also the moment where comey can't sleep because comey can't communicate comey can't sleep um <laughs> because she's over analyzing all of her interactions and then getting anxiety because of that over over analysis um but i think for the most part the narrator only seems to narrate Tadano's situations or his like text boxes on text boxes on screen and if this is the case um that that's the majority of the narrator's parts this may be intentional so like us as the viewers have to learn about Komi the same way as everyone else in the show um through things that are written like we don't automatically like there's no inner dialogue or inner monologue that we hear for Komi um, there's no special narration from the narrator except in these, you know, select few situations. So we are we aren't just immediately thrust into, um, you know, her world. We have to, along with the characters, break that shell and learn about her as we go along. It's kind of like Ranking of Kings um, because the main character of Ranking of Kings is deaf and mute. But there's mm -hmm. no, you know, inner monologue that we get to see or, or listen into as the as the audience. We have to experience that main character's world through what's happening in the show. And I think you learn that it's not that Komi can't communicate. It's just that she has other ways of communicating. And I think that's especially poignant during the hair salon scene. Because um, again, the, the new employee thinks that Komi's just like this stuck up customer <laughs> until the very end where Komi points out a magazine page to her and the magazine says thank you. I just thought that was a nice way again of saying like there's like verbal communication is not the only thing out there. Like people can communicate in a variety of ways and again you don't judge a book by its cover. And the important sense. yeah and the, the important thing to note with that hair salon scene is that the hairstylist has known Comey for a long time. Mm -hmm. So has gotten the you know the chance to to build that connection with Comey as we're seeing with Tadano, because then at the end of the episode, when Tadano is wondering if he should call Komi, he basically like correctly predicts everything that she's doing in that moment. I think she's like working on her homework and then she's bored and wants to hang out with friends, but is too scared to, to call anybody. And it just shows that through the, the time that he spent with her, he's getting to know her very, very well. Um, plus, I think other characters realize that he he's gotten a pretty good hold on her her tendencies, because then when they go shopping, that Jimmy says that Tadano has to come along as her translator. Like they could have picked anybody else, well, not anybody else, but um, they know that he's very well connected to her and can understand her uh, despite not verbally communicating. Um, so they're like, you need to come with us because otherwise we have no idea what she's saying. I also like in this episode, after the haircut, Tadano's the only one that notices that she had a haircut. Oh yeah, that was really cute. Thank <laughs> you. This this show is just so full of like very small but very cute moments. Yeah, I think Komi. It feels like Tadano is sort of becoming her crutch here, especially that that um, dream dream sequence or dream scene where I think she's kind of over for analyzing the interactions she had throughout the day. But I think what keeps her at ease is knowing how Tadano helped her in those situations. So I don't know if like would you consider it as um, Komi kind of using Tadano as a crush. It could signal that, you know, maybe at some point the show will, will build up to a moment where Komi is conflicted um, by her reliance on Tadano. 
Um, I don't know if we're going to get there anytime soon, but I could see that happening. Yeah, that was something I kind of wrestled with here. But I think since there are so many instances where Komi has done stuff without Tadano's help, um, it's more that they're just relying on each other rather than one person bearing much of the burden. Yeah, and she's definitely trying. You could see that she tries um, of her own volition. In episode seven, broken into four segments, it's just the pool, it's just shaved ice, it's just a library, it's just a park. It's just a lot of segments. <laughs> Comey and Co. have a grand old time at the pool, despite our wholesome heroine needing an emergency swimsuit change and later an emergency bandaging. But our ho-hum hero, Tadanormi, is there to make sure she stays in good spirits. We are later introduced to Comey's father, and it's a like-father-like-daughter situation as the two have a shaved ice social and absolute silence. Comey later musters enough strength to at least step into a library, comfort a crying baby, and find some quality alone time at a local park. All while mesmerizing Tadanormi enough at a distance to forget what the fuck he was doing in the first place. Again, another very relatable moment in the show where you're thinking, I gotta do this thing or find this thing, and then something distracts you and you completely forget why you stepped into a room or where you were headed. It's that happens you, to me yeah. all the time. <laughs> and I hear it's just because he's so proud of what Comey's doing. <laughs> Um, but at the start of the episode, the hair part when Tadano and Comey are on the water slide oh, yeah. was so funny. Um, him saying that he may have discovered a new fetish, I was laughing so hard. That was great because generally he's a pretty wholesome guy, but here he's just enjoying her hair <laughs> whipping in his face. It's like, yeah, he's he's watching this um, out of context and realizing wow i'm with a very gorgeous lady <laughs> <laughs> oh man that was great um but then on the opposite side of things you kind of have that bittersweet moment um where we finally meet comey's dad um and, and side note comey clearly looks like her mom but acts like her dad um but it's, it's bittersweet because her and her dad are at that shaved ice shop when he wants to ask her how school is going but can't muster the courage to do so um even though it's his own daughter and then they finally are able to communicate and they're both very happy. It's nice to see that they don't necessarily need to speak to understand one another, but it is kind of sad in a way that the social anxiety that they're experiencing, the communication disorder that they're they're kind of battling through, um, stops them from having a free-flowing conversation or being able to connect whenever they want. Like there's all this buildup and everything that needs to, or that her dad needs to go through before he's even able to ask quote-unquote ask her how school's going yeah i'd love to see it now that we know there's a season two um to see if comey starts to develop more of that communicative relationship with her dad um because yeah the, these two barely said anything and this, it's just a bunch <laughs> of grunts and and sighs um but you know I, I love that they conclude that moment with them enjoying their solitude and still managing to enjoy their time together and then at the end of the episode we see Comey go to the library all by herself um, which i thought signaled some character development mm -hmm. and really they could have had tadano come in and help her at the library or play with her at the park but again he chooses not to um, because it's a good sign that she's starting to get comfortable doing these things on her own and to your point when we were talking about the previous episode, like she needs some level of independence from Tadano in order to grow. So hopefully this was, you know, kind of her first step into being more independent from him. 
with this being her first step, she almost scared the shit out of that baby. But, uh, <laughs> but that baby comes to like her later or like, uh, you know, after the, the whole interaction, because then we see that baby later in the show. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it, it understood what Comey was trying to do. And I think as as the baby and the mother leave, it waves back at her. To Didn't signal. they call her Coco? Yeah. That was cute. I like that. <laughs> In episode eight, broken into three segments, it's just Obon, it's just a festival, and it's just the end of summer. As the summer break winds down, Komi has an awkward but fulfilling visit with her grandmother and younger cousin, and attends a local festival with Najimi and Tadanormi, where the latter insists on helping her get around despite forgetting to bring her notebook. Love ensues, then quickly dissipates as Komi struggles to reveal her feelings to our ho-hum hero. The trio gather at Tadanormi's house the day before the end of their summer break as Komi takes a page from Greece and emotionally reflects on those summer nights. Um, first question right off the bat, is Komi's brother a hentai protagonist? Because he doesn't have eyes. And this sparked, what? when they revealed her brother in the car, this sparked so many memes just like so many memes about her brother being a hentai protagonist because the the meme is hentai protagonists usually don't have eyes because their hair is covering their eyes. And that's what he looked like in the car. Oh, yeah, I see the picture of him in the car. I mean, later on, he they do show He does show have him. eyes, yeah. yes. You do see his eyes. So he, we confirm later he is not a hentai protagonist. Well, you, in this moment, everyone was like, oh, hang on a second. Well, you did say that there are different character tropes throughout this show yeah so maybe so... this is the siscon character trope i don't know but <laughs> i was like this is weird it's also straight like they all have the same eyes like the kind of cat-like eyes it's the uh is Comey her last name it is right it's I the Comey it's eyes. shoko was her last name no no it's it's shoko's her first name shoko Comey. because uh... her brother is shosuke Comey. oh yeah that's right okay yeah. And yeah, it, maybe it's just the the Comey genes are very strong with this family. But uh, the only other thing I, I noted about this episode is that Tarano never forces Comey to speak or tries to get her to do or tries to get her to speak anytime sooner than when she's ready um, because it takes her how long to tell him that he looks good in his yukata, right? Is that what he's wearing? Oh, yeah, that was like almost a full minute of... The full episode, because in the beginning <laughs> when they meet up, she's trying to tell him, and then they go off and they, they do stuff at the festival, and it's not until they're sitting at that table together that finally she says, you look nice, <laughs> and then he's like, holy shit, that's what she was trying to tell me this whole time. And then she writes in the the dirt like that she's, oh wait, no. Yeah, I think you're right. She like writes that she's happy they were hanging out. Oh yeah, out. she had, like they had fun together, which I I took as like almost a profession of her love for him. And then she scribbled it out. Well, yeah, cuz you know, teenage love, got to keep it you got to keep it exciting and within reach, but never <laughs> within reach. I don't know. Um, I don't know sneezes when uh Komi's grandma asks if she likes a boy. Thought that was funny. Oh yeah, that that Japanese trope or trope, I don't know, like superstition that yes. when you sneeze, it means someone's talking about you. Yeah. So they just need to get together. Oh, my God. <laughs> It'll happen. Have faith. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's that buildup. In episode nine, broken into four segments, it's just a country kid. It's just a video game. It's just a part-time job. And it's just something on your face. 
Country bumpkin Inaka strolls into town and secretly takes cues about city living from Komi, who's probably not the best example of city living to draw from. Speaking of, our wholesome heroine spends quality time playing video games at Otakunaka's humble abode before jumping into the overwhelmingly stressful part-time job of handing tissues to sidewalk pedestrians who can't help but become attracted to her meek marketing strategy. Finally, Komi drums up the courage to ask Tadanormi to call her by her first name, as he does with Najimi, and brings attention to a serious human issue in how exactly we should politely tell someone that they've got shit on their face. So the Super Smash Bros. segment was pretty cool. I enjoyed that. Um, I also really loved that Komi wanted Tadano to call her by her first name. That was very unexpected. Um I think it's a huge sign that, yes, she's definitely falling for him. But I also think it's very bold of her to ask that of him. So maybe that's another moment of character development, even though she didn't, like, verbally ask him. She wrote it down. But either even still, I think it's a moment where she's trying to push herself to ask for something that's uncomfortable. I didn't even realize Komi wasn't her first name. I always forget, like, <laughs> you know, the, the Japanese thing of, like, it's last name and then first name. Um but Shoko is such a strange first name to me. It's it, well, you could call her Coco, like the baby. Yeah, that's true, like a, a term of endearment. But we mentioned this earlier: the sesame seed scene. Actually, it's it plays out throughout the whole episode, which is great. Um, but the whole segment about the sesame seed on the face was so incredibly relatable. When you don't know if it's more embarrassing to tell someone or not tell them that they have something on their face or something in their teeth. But I appreciate that they didn't just keep it to the initial segment. They actually had that shit on his face throughout the entire episode or most of the episode. Oh, yeah, they did. And then finally at the end, Najimi's like, by the way, you have a sesame seed on your face. That was great. I love that it's Najimi. And not even Komi. Yeah, yeah, they're just (laughs) blunt about it. Whereas Komi, like Komi, like the rest of us, would just struggle with (laughs) whether or not we should tell the person they do have something. But yeah, Najimi's, again, right out of the gate with it. Side note, I, I know the situation very well. We've all been there. And I feel like back when I was in college, I just made a commitment to myself that when someone has something on their face or in their teeth, even if it's extremely embarrassing to tell them, I'm just going to tell them because if I were in their shoes, I would want someone to tell me. That's what I that's what I told myself. So now I feel it's still very awkward to tell someone that. I don't even know why. Um, but I, I told myself if I were in their shoes, I would want to be told. So I have to force myself to tell that person. Well, I think it's because you find it funny, but then you want to also spare you like the sympathize person. with the person. Yeah, like spare the person's embarrassment from like walking around with that on their face. Yeah, I don't <laughs> know. Human nature, it's weird. In episode ten, broken into three segments, it's just sports day. It's just emotional pangs. It's just photo stickers. Komi finds an additional competitive rival in second-year student Netsuno as the school participates in its annual sports day and gives everyone a near heart attack as she recovers from a tumble during the relay race finale. For no one cares about the results as long as best girl is okay. However, Komi later does not feel okay as she harbors jealous feelings towards classmate Onemine, who's been spending more time with Tadanormi recently in preparation for the Bunkasai episode. Onemini, however, perfectly reads the room and befriends Komi with the reassurance that she will not stand in the way of teenage love. Lastly, 
Komi and Ko engage in Purikura playtime, and Tadanormi bequeaths Komi with a claw machine prize. Mmm, girl, might as well have been an engagement ring. Yeah, that post credit scene with Komi looking at the cat toy and gushing over it was really cute. Keeling. Um, <laughs> but the new sports festival chick with like the fire looking hair and the fire theme, I don't even know her name because she doesn't show up on Mal. It's Netsuno. Oh, okay. Um, she's fine. She's probably my least favorite. Um, kind of annoying at times. I don't know. She felt very forced. Um, and like, I don't know. I, I feel like I can't even see her and Komi being friends. That's why I'm surprised they didn't just use uh, Yada, uh, Yada no, the, the competitive girl from the first couple episodes. That's what I thought too, because she hasn't had like a full on connection with Komi yet. Like she's appeared before, mm-hmm. but hasn't had a connection. So this would have been a great time to bring her character back and actually have more formal, you know, friend connection there um, with, with Komi. But I don't know. Like the fire chick was fine. I don't know. I, I could take her or leave her. I'll probably forget about her by the time season two rolls around. Yeah, this just felt like a like a Rengoku cameo or something. <laughs> and yeah, I think it would have been served better if like Yadano came in. I think Yadano does make an appearance at some point, but like there's no redemption arc for her to to actually become friends with Komi. And we have to talk about the fucking part where Komi cheers on Tadano yes. and then he exploded. It was so <laughs> well done. And I think the best part of it is they knew how to perfectly time the moment that Tarano hears it to when he actually explodes and starts running. Like it was just delayed like just enough to really make that comedy hit. It was fantastic. Also, you got to realize Comey's voice is very quiet in this loud, boisterous crowd. So for him to just like single out her voice and just to hear it, well, like muting everyone else was that was just pure gold, and then he got that big dick energy after that. I know it's great. And then he only gets third place. Yeah, that's the cherry <laughs> on top. It's like they build this whole thing up. He sprints like he he's keeled over out of breath, and yeah, he only got third place. I think it's the show again reminding us that this guy's average. Like, yeah, <laughs> as as much as like he got that second golden wind, he's not gonna get first. <laughs> Um, and then when Comey's running, I really liked that she fell and got muddy. Not in like a mean way. Um, but again, she's perfect in so many ways. Very talented. But this makes her still feel human and relatable because even the goddess or the prima donna of the school falls and gets muddy and has this very frustrating situation that she has to overcome. And then we get the slight dramatic conflict in this episode with Onemine, where now it's Comey feeling envious that someone else is getting Tadano's attention. But then it just goes away. And she becomes <laughs> another shipper alongside Najimi. That's true. Which is great. And I this makes me wonder if Komi eventually makes a guy friend down the road, will Tadano feel jealousy? Oh, and then shall see. he'll fall into the shonen tropes of Self, self-loathing. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not good enough for her. I hope not, God. <laughs> In episode 11, broken into five segments, it's just a performance for the Bunkasai, it's just Bunkasai preparations, it's just flyer distribution, it's just the eve of the Bunkasai, and it's just maids. The class has a civil war over what their Bunkasai class activity will be until Komi shows preference for a maid cafe after which they unanimously throw their votes behind the idea. 
Komi then joins Onemine and a sloth in gathering supplies for the festival, which gives our wholesome heroine a sense of pride in actually offering a helping hand. She later courageously hands out flyers for the bunkasai to familiar faces and worn out places, and hand makes onigiri that becomes the holy grail of her classmates on bunkasai eve. On the day of the bunkasai, Komi, Najimi, and Taranormi gear up in their maid outfits, and our wholesome heroine meekly compliments our ho-hum hero on pulling off the maid look well. And honestly, even I have to agree. Okay, so previous episode, we got like the sporty chick. Um, we've also got like the, the competitive chick. Um, we got Onamine, who is like the Oneasan big sister type character. And here we're getting Kaede, who's like the stupid airhead character. I don't know any of these like dere types, um, what they're called, but um yeah i kaede was fine to me i don't know i didn't know much to say about her so slow yeah like the (laughs) sloth from zootopia which get like she's used for comedic effect which um which i found funny but i think also uh, what's her name kaede like she after they're done getting their supplies and whatever i think she uh, wishes Komi the best in preparing for the festival and then Komi responds with a hi. And that's like the first time that Komi has spoken to someone. That's what I thought too. I'm like, is this the first time she's spoken to anyone besides Tarano? Unless we yeah. just overlooked a part in the earlier episodes. I I highlighted that in my notes. So like this is a pretty significant thing. So there you go. Character development. Achievement unlocked. Let's go Komi. <laughs> Um, we also discover that Komi's brother, Shosuke, actually does have eyes. So yes, um, he is uh, not a hentai protagonist. So we got that confirmation. And then I found my notes, um, when I was struggling to describe the way they, they animate Komi's legs in her tights. Um, they're very extra about it compared to the other characters. Like there, she's the only one that has like depth and shading to her thighs and her legs in those tights because she's the goddess of the high school extra i haven't heard someone describe something as extra in that a i long just like time. dig up an old term <laughs> <laughs> is extra already an old term <laughs> I mean, I, we use plenty of terms old and new on this show so <laughs> and in the final episode episode 12 broken into three segments it's just the bunkasai it's just the post bunkasai and it's just the after party. The bunkasai carries onward even after Najimi's sleazy marketing schemes with the maid cafe. Komi and Ko later explore the bunkasai, visiting such attractions as the haunted house and rooftop confession event, each of which are bent to Komi's will in quite comedic ways. At the conclusion of the bunkasai, Komi's class is announced as the winners of the festival, but are subsequently disqualified for Najimi's corrupt business practices. Komi and Tadanormi take a moment to celebrate anyways as Fair Maid nervously dances with slightly less Fair Maid. The class later goes out for a night of karaoke, where Komi riles up the crowd with her non-existent singing, and Tadanormi loses the crowd with his less-than-average singing, though our wholesome heroine cheers her ho-hum hero on all the way. In a post credit scene, Komi reflects on her socially bizarre adventure of a year, and nerve-wrackingly announces the announcement of a second season before getting bum-rushed and cutting to Sopranos Black. Who else can't wait for Comey to stutter her way into our hearts once more? 
So similar to the sesame seed gag in the previous episode or couple of episodes, um, here we have Tarano in his costume basically the entire episode. And yeah, I just kind of appreciated that. I don't know. They just like kept that gag running without calling too much attention to it, I guess. Yeah, and I guess, you know, like when they, they dance with each other at the end, um, I guess normally you would have loved to see both of them in their like plain clothes um, dancing with each other. Although, like it's it's I think more comedic that they're both dressed in the same way. Trying to break out of that rom com trope by not having him in normal clothes during yeah. this romantic it's like a, moment. We gotta continuously build up to that moment, especially now that season two is on the horizon. I also like that um, Tadano is starting to realize he has feelings for Komi when I don't remember what happens in the scene, but. Um, he asks himself why his heart is beating so fast. And I'm like, because you have feelings for her, okay? Just get together. Why my pee-pee hard? <laughs> why my pee-pee hard? <laughs> and yeah, that karaoke scene, what a way to end, end the show on, a, on an activity that requires a lot of communication, especially musical communication. Um, it's just funny that like Comey's like so nervous about her turn at the mic and then she goes up and I think it's it's the ED that she's supposed to sing which again makes me think that the ED is actually sung from her point of view but she doesn't sing at all scores a zero and I think you see Yamai like shaking the karaoke screen in the background demanding that there's there's an issue with it and then you go to Tadano whose song is beef or chicken yeah, <laughs> what the fuck is that song? Like, I, I know they probably just made up songs, um, <laughs> but the, like, why, like, beef or chicken <laughs> for the stumpiest boy? And it's kind of sad because no one's listening to him, but I think that just makes it all the more better because it's Comey that's the only person that's listening to him and cheering him on and shaking her maracas. That I sounded so dirty. <laughs> Her, the maraca she's holding. <laughs> um, I appreciated that they didn't make us sit through all of them singing their songs. They like started and they just cut it to the end of the song. I'm like, thank you. Thank you very much. I also thought it was clever that Najimi asks uh, Tarano and Komi to join in singing the final karaoke song. And it just happens to be the OP. Like that was just a, a perfect way to close out just because I love that song. It was so a nice much. cut because I think it shows Comey inhaling and then this cuss to the song. Like she's about to sing it. Yeah. That was uh, that was nice. Yeah. And then, of course, you get the really wacky season two announcement. <laughs> I would just have loved. I, I love that it cuts right after the, the whole class cheers for her. And then you don't see them actually bum rush her in. And the it just cuts the black, just the mystery of that, um, and just the comedic timing of it. Now I can't wait for season two, which apparently I'm pulling it up on mail here. I think it's scheduled for this year in April. That's um, oh, that's quite a turnaround. That is fast as fuck. That that almost feels like a first core, second core, but they actually do call it second season. Um, but yeah, it is. Right now, tentatively scheduled for April 2022, so there's not long that we have to wait to find out what happens. And the manga, I believe, is still ongoing, so I don't think this would conclude the story. I could see them having multiple seasons of this, but we'll find out in April. And so that brings us to our final thoughts for Comey Can't Communicate. 
So how many <laughs> out of oh 10 would you give this rom-com? I would give it a solid 8 out of 10. Um, I enjoyed it very, very much. It was the, the romance fluff that we needed in fall 2021. The humor hit every single time. It does take some big risks and walks the line of like too much, quote unquote, or over the top, quote unquote, but never crosses it. Um, I do wish there was a bit more like romantic interactions between Komi and Tarano and maybe like one or two more serious moments like that chalkboard scene from the first episode. Um, but who knows? Maybe we'll get more of that in season two in April. What about you? I also would give this eight <laughs> oh my God. out of ten. It's just a straightforward romance anime with barely an ounce of drama. But really, did we need our dose of drama? outside of the drama that was 2021 or 2020 part two. <laughs> um, 2022nd core. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. But yeah, the comedy just hits right in the show between Comey's spurts of bravery and doing these everyday errands and activities and just like the general nonsense of her supporting cast. And yes, I said her supporting cast. Um, I feel like Comey's these fish out of water scenes that force her to communicate. Like, I think you can only drag it out for so long with, with the comedy of it. But I mean, for now I, I loved every minute of it in the show. And obviously Komi and Tadano are some of the most wholesome characters I watched in recent memory. This podcast is brought to you today by the word wholesome, I guess. <laughs> and I would love to see their relationship you know, with her developing her communication skills, with Tadano opening up um, his feelings to her and vice versa, just seeing that blossom a bit more in season two. Because again, I live for that Keelig. This podcast is also brought to you today by the word Keelig. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, yes. Look forward to our review of season two of Comey Can't Communicate. Um, probably. So if it is truly a spring 2022 anime, then probably in the middle of summer, um, right at the end of, of that season, we'll, mm -hmm. we'll do that review because there's no way we're not going to talk about Comey Can't Communicate season two. Um, but yes, yeah, so with all of that said, that wraps up episode 69 nice nice of strictly anime if you enjoy the podcast and would like to support the show then head over to patreon.com slash the strictly series and subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every monday follow us on instagram at the strictly series and on twitter at strictly series and connect with us there or on our website thestrictlyseries.com to share your thoughts on the anime we review and on how wholesome komi and tadano are You'll also find more info on Strictly Jojo, our other podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. Though the subsequent hostage situation creates a whiff, <laughs> a whiff. What? I meant to say rift. Oh, I thought you meant like a whiff, like a <laughs> smell. <laughs> Hold on.